everybody thankful to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. We're glad that you are here. If you have your Bibles, let's stand together. Turn to James chapter number 4 and verse number 7. We'll read two passages of Scripture, James chapter 4, verse 7, and 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. Amen. James chapter 4, verse number 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Amen. First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Two passages of Scripture that reference the devil here. So for a few moments, I want to finish or complete uh, a series of lessons that have taken place on Tuesday night. And the first one was the war against the soul, which is the flesh or our carnal nature. I put them in priority. I think that's the greatest battle you're ever going to fight is the battle with yourself. Sometimes we try to find a scapegoat. And so we look at the third particular iteration of our struggle, which is the devil. And we're going to look at some of the scripture that speak about what he does and how he leverages that force of negativity in our lives. Or we will look at the world when really the main struggle that happens is the battle within ourselves. So it's a war against the soul, which is the flesh. It's a war against the soul, which is the world. And today it's the war against the soul, which is the devil. And we've read these two passages of scripture here to start, amen, this morning. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We ask that you would direct us and let your word be a strength and encouragement to us in the house of God today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. So we're talking about enemies of the soul, not to uh, give prominence, too much priority or prominence to those things, but we have to be aware of some of those things so that we know how to deal with them. I'm thankful for the good things of the Lord, and there's a lot that goes with that. I'm thankful today that I have peace. Scripture said that we have peace that passes understanding, so I'm thankful for the peace of God in the house of the Lord here today. I'm thankful for joy. One scripture said it's joy unspeakable and full of glory, so there are some very good things that God provides to us that we reap as benefits for being involved in the kingdom of God and his anointing and his spirit. And yet, at the same time, when we're trying to move forward in God and the kingdom of God, there are some things that we struggle with. We struggle with our own carnal nature, and we struggle with the world or a system or realm of unbelief that goes against the grain of what God is trying to do and wanting to do. So that is a, a struggle. There's a lot of narratives that are going on in the world right now that fly right in the face of truth. And so there is a cultural war. There is a world narrative that is a problem, and it has been a problem ever since the times of Jesus. They were struggling with the world domination and system with the Roman Empire. The early church was struggling with emperor worship and 
and temple worship and all that went with that and trying to buy and sell and function and worship and persecution. And so it is something that is a common uh, repetitious pattern. Amen. But in all of that, the church needs to stand strong and people need to stay strong. It's not going to go away until Jesus Christ returns. And so until he returns, I want to be found doing something in the kingdom of God, being involved in the kingdom of God. That's why I'm here in the house of God today, because I want to be found doing. I want to worship him. I want to praise him. I want to be involved in his work. And I'm thankful today on this piece of property, there's a lot of stuff transpiring from children's ministry to youth ministry to adult ministry. Thank God for the ministry and the work of the kingdom of God. And I've got a place in that. I can be involved in that, and I can plug into that. So there's some enemies of our soul. There are some things that war against our soul, and we have studied some of those. And we're looking at an enemy today that uh, is a, a very much a difficulty and a problem. He wages personal attacks against the people of God, and he works through two other enemies that we have studied. He will leverage our flesh by attacking our mind, and he will leverage the world against us. And so we, we know that this is, in these three uh, particular perspectives, there is an attack. There is a difficulty that comes our way that tries to obstruct and tries to stop. And I just want to say here today, if you've got any faith at all, keep moving forward. Don't take a step back. There's going to be obstacles and difficulties that come your way. Amen. But revel in this fact. God has brought you a mighty, mighty long way. Amen. You are different than when you first started coming because God was working some things out in your life. And this is the message of the church, and this is what disciples of Jesus is all about. I don't want to become static. I don't want to stay the same. I want to continue to move move forward into what God has for me. I'm pressing. I'm pressing forward. Amen. I'm not focusing on everything that is behind me, but I'm looking on the good things that are before me. And before me, there is revival. And before me, there is faith. And before me, there is a calling of God. And before me, there is the goodness of God. So I'm going to keep pressing my way forward. Hallelujah. Amen. What kind of church would we be if we only wanted to live in the past, if we only wanted to stay where we are and we didn't have an attitude and an inspiration that God is in the business of revival? Can I get a witness from anybody in the house of God today that revival is the church's business? Praise God. I want to be involved in that. So there are some obstacles and there are some struggles. And we know from the scripture, we'll read some verses here in a minute, that Satan is a fallen angel and he knows his destiny. And so because of that, there is an attack to destroy everyone that he can for individuals who have made a conscious decision to live for God. He had that opportunity, and apparently there's different classifications and levels in a spiritual realm of spiritual beings. And so some only worship God, and there are others who have the ability and they have a choice. Much like humanity was given a choice, and in this case, Satan is a fallen angel. He had a choice, and he chose wrongly, much like humanity made a wrong choice. And so we live in a fallen world. 
and anything that has to do with a person that has free will and can make a conscious decision to live for God is an, a, a direct attack against the enemy of our soul because he had the opportunity and he made the wrong decision. And so every time we worship God, we live for God, there is a spotlight on who we are and what we are doing. And so there are obstacles that come our way. Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 41, Jesus was speaking about separating the sheep from the goats on the judgment day. And he said, then shall he say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So there is a destiny and he receives his final portion, Matthew chapter 25, that it is going to be hell, that that was prepared not for people and individuals, but primarily it is prepared for the devil and his angels. He is devious. He is vicious in his attacks against the saints of God. He is our enemy, and in the flesh we are no match for him. We have to have something that is more powerful within us. We cannot do it on our own free will. We can't fight addictions on our own. We can't find, fight the domination of sin on our, own, on our own. It's not within our own capacity and ability. You may, get, you may get just on your own free will and power a certain distance, but you need something that is greater in your life that gives you the ability to be an overcomer. These things that we're talking about are answering the big questions that have been asked in ancient of times. And that is, who am I? That's a great question to ask. That has to do with personhood. Has to do with identity. What am I doing? How did I get here? Who am I? What is the problem? Because when I look around me, it seems like the world is going to hell in the handbasket and there is so much wickedness in the world. Something is wrong. What is wrong? And then how do I explain that? How do I give justifications for that? What am I supposed to be doing? Do I have a purpose? Do I have a destiny? These are big questions that are asked by peoples of all civilizations, and there's different answers, and our answers from our perspective and worldview is coming from the scripture. So on my own, I am not able to overcome. I need something that is greater within me that gives me the ability to rise above some of the difficulties and temptations that come my way. The scripture reveals that in my life, I need a transformation. I need something that is more powerful than the way that I'm just doing life on my own. And the Bible is very, very clear that that transformation is through the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God in my life is the difference maker. I can't do it on my own. I can't fight the flesh. I can't fight the world. And I can't fight the enemy of my soul if I'm just trying to do it on my own. But if the Holy Ghost is operating in my life, there is a spiritual connection that gives me power beyond who I am that links up with something that is greater than I am. And that's the power of God's Spirit in my life. Paul said you are more than an overcomer. You can overcome sin. You can overcome addiction. You can overcome failure and difficulty because there is something on the inside of you that empowers you, and that's the Holy Ghost. Amen. So this is why we read in our scripture text that we are to resist the adversary. He is like the devil. And in 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4, it says to us, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So you, you've got to have something. You've got to have something 
that is within you that is greater than is what is without. The internal power has to be greater than the external pressure. If not, you're just going to go the direction of the external pressure. You're going to succumb, and you may say within yourself, I got this all together. I am the man, or I am the woman. But you are no match for the flesh, the world, and the enemy of your soul without something greater living within you. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have the Spirit of God in jars of clay. But but it is something that is powerful. I want to testify just for a moment and tell you I'm thankful for the power of the Holy Ghost. I wouldn't have made it on my own. I wouldn't have overcome years and years and years of dysfunction and addiction, but thanks be to God that he plucked me out of the miry clay, gave me an opportunity to be in the house of God and lift my hands and lift my voice and say there is something worth testifying about. And that is God's mercy, his power, and his ability. Oh, let's thank the Lord together. I thank you, Jesus, and praise you. Praise God. Praise God. So you have something greater that is in you. Whatever you're going through today, man, there's a myriad of things that can come against you. There's a lot of things emotionally. There's a lot of things spiritually. And, and sometimes people can, they can bring themselves to talk about emotional problems. They can bring themselves to talk about psychological problems. They can bring themselves to talk about all those things. But when it gets to a spiritual dynamic, they, they, they get all freaked out by that. And it should actually work in, re, in reverse. There is a spiritual dynamic to who we are. That's what the soul is. That's what the spirit is. Things that we cannot see is ultimately where there is priority and things that we do see there should be less of a port importance on those things when your spirit is right your emotions have a much better opportunity to function properly your psychological mind and mental faculties and state can function better if your spirit is right and so there's some things that you can do that may get you so far, but without a spiritual transformation, it can only take you so far. And this is what the church is about. <laughs> if we weren't here preaching that there can be a spiritual transformation, what would we be doing? <laughs> Praise God. We believe in a new birth experience that can change your life spiritually, and then it changes everything else in your life. Praise God. So there's a spiritual dimension. The scripture tells us that there are physical things and then there are spiritual things. It also gives to us a principle that some things are made by things that we do not see. And I want to look at a verse that helps us understand that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house made not with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from above. He's talking about mortal body, flesh, and immortality. He's talking about a resurrected body that was exemplified in the life of Jesus. So he's talking about we're in this world in the flesh, but even within us... <laughs> There is like this deep groaning and desire to be beyond just what we feel physically into something that is greater. So he's talking about the flesh. For in this we groan, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven, 
If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. So <clears throat> Paul says we see the physical ramifications, but there's something within us that is longing for something that is better. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. There's some principles in both of these. Both of these are talking spiritually, but they also can connect to the physical world. And we understand that. There's some things that you can't see until you put it under a microscope, and then you see uh, a whole different world. Microscopically, then you can see the in the physical ramification. Even something that is tangible and physical, there are molecules that are operating within the physical part of the pew that you're sitting on. It's more dense. Therefore, the molecules don't move as much. Things that are not as dense, they have more free reign. You can't even see that. You can't. I mean, you say, uh, Pastor's lost his mind. No, he hasn't lost his mind. He just now, now I'm just talking science because in a in a scientific way, when you get a very powerful microscope, you start seeing things that you can't see. And the scripture here is talking about the same spiritual ramifications of that. So I see, I see things physically, and yet at the same time, through spiritual discernment and the anointing of God, recognize that there's something behind all of that that I'm not seeing. There's something not seen, and it is the spiritual dimension that I can't see. Now, sometimes I can see it very, very clear when it manifests itself. God was a spirit, and unless he manifests and incarnates himself into flesh, I, I would not be able to see the spirit of God unless it moves in particular ways. It's the same thing with spiritual dimensions that are evil. You don't necessarily see them. Now, there are times when you can feel them. There are some places that you can just feel, man, this, this doesn't feel right. It feels weighty. There have been some places walking down the street in some environments. It just doesn't feel right. That's What does that mean? Do I see that? Well, I recognize there are things going on that are not appropriate, but the feeling of that, praise God, sometimes you can make decisions on what you feel. If you are spiritually in tune with the anointing of God, you can say, I feel that that is not a direction I need to know because there's a spiritual attachment that I'm not seeing, but I recognize it's not good for me. That's an environment. That can be what you take in through your eyes. I shouldn't be viewing this because there's something attached to it that is not going to help my spiritual walk with God. Therefore, I'm going to leave that out of my life. I'm going to make a conscious decision to avoid that because I'm discerning it's not helping me get closer to God. What I see, what I hear, what I feel, these are dimensions of the spirit. Sometimes you can look at a person and you can know they, they're, some, something is not right because the scripture said that, that Satan or the devil, we're talking spiritual dynamics, entered into Judas. He opened himself up and evil was incarnated in Judas physically. There's some people physically, all you have to do is look at any news 
flash anything in our world. There, there is evil in the world, and sometimes it incarnates itself to the point where you don't have to second guess. When millions of people are losing their lives around the world in history for individual humanity to try to, to control and dominate, something is obviously wrong. When you put 7 million Jews and you kill them in ovens, that is evil, that is personified in a group of men sitting around a table trying to figure out how you can exterminate an entire race. Don't tell me that there's not a spiritual dynamic sometimes that we can see or cannot see that's at work. It absolutely is at work and it will drive you to the very bottom if it can. But thank God there's a God whose arm is not short that it cannot reach. And it can pull you out of those depths that you find yourself in because of his mercy and his grace. Mm. Praise God. There are people sitting on these pews that, are, that, that their testimony is amazing. It's, it's a miracle because of what God richly does. So... <clears throat> What is the origin of Satan? Well, this is fascinating. It's very fascinating because in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14 and verse number 12, this was a proverb against the king of Babylon. So this was not specific just to trying to describe Satan's downfall. It was talking about the king of Babylon. And it even says in the scripture, a proverb to the king of Babylon. Sometimes we take that out of context and we say that that specifically is talking about Satan, but we need to back up and look that, at that in context. He's talking about the king of Babylon, who is an incarnation of evil against the people of God. And then there is a proverb that is given, and in that there is some spiritual truth about Satan and his idea and his origin and in chapter 14 and verse number 12, this is what we get. How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Lucifer means the shining, the flash of light. How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations. What the enemy wants to do to your spiritual life is weaken your spiritual walk with God. For thou hast said in thine heart, here is the, the famous I wills. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And this is typically the desire of an enemy that wants to supersede God. He wants to dominate and control. He, he does not want to be subjected to God, the will of God. And so herein lies the confrontation of the spiritual struggle and battle that we face. And yet in this proverb, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? So you have a Lucifer, a son of the morning, a flash in the pan, and he is one that does not want to open the house of prisoners. I mean, you can see this at work. <laughs> you can see this at work. The devil's really good at marketing stuff until pe and there's sin, for, there's pleasure in sin for a season. 
And so he pulls you in because that life looks so great and glamorous. And, and nowadays it's social media that sucks people in. Last Tuesday night we talked about young people and the three things that they identified with because of what they're seeing. 50% uh, say things like, uh, my life is not useful. I, I don't enjoy life. Uh, <clears throat> and I can't do anything right. 50% of all young people from 1992 to 2010, 2010 it skyrocketed from like 20% jumping up into the 50% to where half of all young people today, those three things they identify with, that's the kind of world that we live in. And, and the reason that we find ourselves in this is because there is a spiritual attack. That it's an angel of light. It's a flash of shining. People get sucked into stuff because, man, it looks so good. Everybody's having fun. They get pulled into that. And then when they get into that, they find out that the first time was always the best time. You can never get back to the first time. And so there you go. You go down that, I, I got to take more. And, I, and then pretty soon, you are, uh, you're in a, in a world of mess and addiction and hurt. And it's the Lucifer here. It's this I will. I, I don't want God telling me to do anything attitude that here in this passage said he doesn't open, he doesn't open the house of his prisoners. <laughs> he's not going to, you get an addiction, he's not interested in letting you out. You get into struggles, he wants to keep you in struggles. This is the juxtaposition of what the world is and what the church is. Because the church says there's a God that wants to bring you out, while the world and the enemy of your soul says we want to keep you in. Praise God. I want to preach to you today and say you don't have to stay in bondage because there is one by the name of Jesus that opens the doors of the prison and brings healing and strength. Hallelujah. Thank God. So in this parable, he doesn't open the house of his prisoners. He destroys the cities. And he makes the world a wilderness. This is the description of Lucifer in this passage of Scripture. Now, before I go on, because I do want to say something about how Satan is referred to in the Old Testament versus how he's referred to in the New Testament. But before I go on, um, every ecosystem, because we're talking about spiritual dimensions, right? Every ecosystem... Somebody say, well, I mean, okay, I understand spiritually what you're talking about. And what's the necessity, if you're looking at this and you're trying to get your head around this, what is the necessity of a predator? Well, I would ask you, what's the necessity of a predator in any ecosystem? Because if things are made that are not seen, and those things reflect what are seen, then let's look at the things that are seen so that we can understand what is not seen. Does that make sense? And when you look at what is seen and you look at ecosystems, guess what you find in every single ecosystem? You find a predator. You find apex predators. They're called apex predators, which means predators that have no predators. In every single ecosystem. They don't face any competition in their natural environment, <clears throat> but they play a crucial role in maintaining balance in the different habitats that make up our ecosystem. There's only a few that take like top of the food chain. So they use fangs and claws and poison and beaks. They are the top predators in the food chain and all of those ecosystems are dominated by them. And so again, we're looking at maybe something that is seen in our ecosystem and in our world, which comes from scripture that we've already read 
things that we can see so that we can understand things that we can't see. So what are some of the predators? There's 16 here, just for the sake of fun. I, I looked up what are the apex predators in the different ecosystems. Many of them you'll recognize. The saltwater crocodile lives 70 years, has no natural predators. The polar bear lives 20 to 30 years, no natural predators. The brown bear has wolf packs, but it's extremely rare that wolf packs can destroy a brown bear. Komodo dragon lives 25 to 40 years, has no natural predators, can bite with its mouth to the pressure of 6,000 PSI. Very powerful. Siberian tiger, 16 to 18, no natural predators. The lion, scripture references the devil being a roaring lion. <clears throat> no natural predator. The leopard has no natural predator when adult, but their cubs are vulnerable to many predators. The snow leopard, only natural predator to it, it's other snow leopards. The orca, the orca, killer sharks, no natural predator. Great white shark, none, no natural predator. Jaguar, lives 12 to 15 years, no, no natural predator. Northwestern wolf, 10 to 12 years lifespan, the only predators, bears and tigers. Cheetah, average lifespan, 10 to 12 years, none when an adult. Cougar, none when an adult. Leopard seal, only predator is orcas and large sharks. And lastly, number 16, bald eagle, lives 15, 20 years, has no natural predator. So in every single ecosystem that we see, there is always a predator. Planet Earth is going to show you all the natural beauty and all these little animals. And it's always followed by, but there's a predator. There's always a predator. <clears throat> well, why is a predator needed? If you take the predator out, the habitat is no longer in balance. It's no longer in flux. And so then things start proliferating that get the ecosystem out of balance. As a matter of fact, in Florida, they've got a problem in their ecosystem. And the problem in the ecosystem is the crocodile is supposed to be the main predator, but somehow somebody, a pet or something, has brought in pythons, and pythons are now growing, and so there's this conflict. And because there's a conflict and there's not a predator maintaining balance and stasis to the ecosystem, other things are growing up and proliferating, and so they have problems. So if you don't have a predator, there's not balance. It's not a bad thing for the devil to be on your trail because the devil is a spiritual predator. And if there's no predator, then you got no reason to be alert, be on guard, be consistent, be faithful, be watchful. Recognize that there's danger out here. It's all beautiful, looks good, but I've got my eyes looking around because there is a roaring lion. The devil is like a roaring lion, and he's coming to try to weaken my spiritual walk with God. I'm not going to let that happen. Therefore, I'm going to be on alert, and I'm going to let the anointing of God direct me and guide me so I'm in balance spiritually. And so this is what he is, and what is he like? Well, he uses a lot of methods. Uh, the scripture said that these are different terms for him. 
the tempter, a liar, an accuser. This is what I was saving the Old Testament. In Job, there's a heavenly council and, and Satan wanders up into the heavenly council as if he has a right to be there. And God starts conversing with him like they're talking about stuff. Which tells me that on a spiritual dimension, there's a spiritual ecosystem. And there is God and there is a predator that is trying to weaken. And so he, he, he comes and they start having a conversation about Job. And what's interesting is in Job, Job is, if, if you look chronologically, Job is one of the oldest books of the Bible that goes back into the early parts of Genesis. And in the passage of Scripture, in the Hebrew, Satan is not like a proper name. There's a Hebrew definite article in front of it, which is the Satan, the Satan. This force, this opposition, this, I mean, if, look, if you're looking, if you, I, if you say, well, I know exactly what the devil looks like, right? Don't look to your left and to your right because somebody... Somebody may not appreciate that. <laughs> it's not going to be this figure in some comic strip with a, a red tail and, and all this kind of stuff. Not like that. And if that's the problem in trying to get your head around, okay, what is this? It's a force that tries to weaken your walk with God. Now, how do we have, that's what the Satan comes and sits at the table in the divine council and wants to start talking about Job. And there's this conversation and Job maintains his faith against the opposition that comes against him. Even though he loses everything and people abandon him, he says, I'm not going to curse God and God and die. He's been too good to me. I'm going to maintain my integrity before the Lord. He brought me into the world. He can take me out of the world. But in either case, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to worship whether it's good or whether it's bad. And so there is this opposition. There is this force. There is the Satan that comes and tries to weaken his relationship with God. Now, because we that force that is against us. I'm, maybe I'm so far off here, but has anybody this week felt a spiritual attack on your life that, that tries to weaken your walk with God? Is there anybody to be willing to say, hey, you know what? Sunday was great. Monday was pretty good. Tuesday morning, man, I got hit upside the head, and I had to fight my way through some things. It was a spiritual battle that I found myself. Anybody ever experienced that? All right, there are things that, I mean, in life has got ups and downs, and the enemy is very good trying to figure out how to leverage some of those things. And so those forces that oppose us, now you got to put a handle on it. Because if I said every time I got into the pulpit, this force of spiritual dimension that is coming out of the vortex of hell is against me, you'd look at me like I was crazy if I said that every time. Right? I've got to have something to kind of wrap up all of that stuff and say, this is my spiritual struggle. And that's where the terms, the devil, come to play here. Because it's describing all of those things. 
So it's the tempter, it's a liar, it's an accuser, it's a hinderer, 1 Thessalonians. It's a murderer. Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil, and he was a murderer from the beginning. The God of this world, 2 Corinthians describes him. The deceiver, 1 Timothy. Our adversary, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. The destroyer, Psalm 17. And then there's these other terms like Lucifer. Revelation calls him a dragon. Luke and Revelation call him Satan. Revelation calls him a serpent. He's the adversary. He's the devil. He's the wicked one. And then he's compared to a lion. He's compared to a minister of righteousness. He is compared to a fowl, a bird. He's compared to an angel of light. He's compared to a wolf. So, all of these things encap encapsulates the idea of something that wants to weaken your spiritual walk with God. God, What do you say that we take the words of Paul and we say he has made me more than a conqueror? I know I'm in a struggle with my flesh, and that's my biggest battle. I know that I'm in a world that's got a lot of things going against the word of God and the truth of God. That's a battle. That's a struggle. And I also recognize that wrapped up in all of that, there is one called Lucifer, the devil, Satan. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's all of those things that is trying his very best to destroy what I'm building for God. I'm building something. The devil is only interested in tearing down down stuff. God is interesting in building up stuff. And that is pretty much the greatest illustration that you can find. You let the devil take your life, he will tear it down to the ground. You let God do things in your life, he'll build some things back in your life. And living for God is building some things back. Thank God for people that were strung out but when they came to church, they started building something. You know what you were building? You were building a house for God. You're faithful to the house of God. You're consistent in the house of God. You're a testimony to everybody else. Thank God that God's building things. Scripture even talks about this house that God is building. Anything the devil does is tear down and destroy. It's destructive. It weakens. And so how does he weaken? What are primary ways of weakening? I've got to hurry. One way, there's a lot, but here's two. The two main ways are this, giving place to the devil. The scripture says, don't give place to the devil. What does that mean? A saint of God can give place to the devil, but this does not mean that he or she is dominated, possessed, or controlled. It just means that you have had a temporary failure through temptation, lust, or testing and you've given up ground. Given up ground. This is where backsliding typically happens. People don't just like wake up in the morning and say, ha, I'm done. No more living for God for me. That's not the way it works, right? It works because they, it works in a way in which they give place. They give up some things. If you've got a prayer life, man, keep maintaining that prayer life. Don't give place. Don't let the world and your flesh and the enemy of your soul take away some of the good things that God is working in your life. Praise God. Somebody said amen. That's really, really, really good stuff. 
Praise God. One song says, I'm going to go back and take what the devil stole from me. You can't. I'm sorry to disappoint you, whoever wrote that song. It's terrible theology. You can't go, get, you, you, you can't go back to the devil to get the peace that you want had, once had. He weakens it, it dissipates, and it's destroyed in him. The only place you can go back and get it is to go back to Jesus, who's the author and finish of your faith, to build up what you lost. <laughs> the devil's not going to somewhere take it from you and storing it in inventory so that somehow you can go get it back. He just lets it be destroyed. It's God the one that produces it back in your life. So he tries to weaken. So don't give place. Man, God has created some things. Now, you can't say things like, expand my territory. Expand the borders. God is doing things in my life. And sometimes he doesn't do things. Oh, man, I've only got 10 minutes. Sometimes he doesn't just, he doesn't just give you everything at once. He didn't do that for the children of Israel. He said step by step. He said because if I give it to you everything at once and you're coming into the promised land and you've got vineyards and things you haven't planted and all that kind of stuff and I just give it to you all at once and you can't populate and take care of it all, the vineyards are going to be destroyed. The predators are going to increase. And so me giving you too much too fast is not a good thing. Listen to me. Saints of God, church of God, let a people... Let somebody grow and discipline and disciple themselves as is necessary because if they take too much, too fast, they won't make it. Won't make it. So, you know, we pray, God, expand my territory. My and so God starts doing that. And now all of a sudden we are building stuff. There's a, there's a song of the vineyard in Isaiah that is so, man, it is so packed full of theological stuff. And it's talking about God, talking about his vineyard and his children. And so, and there's all this stuff. There's the rocks you had to dig out and you had to terrace the, the vineyard. And then, then you use the rocks and then the, you use the rocks to create a boundary, a wall, a boundary to keep the predators out. And then you start building the well. And then and all this stuff has to do with, with God doing things, this, this building process. And so when you get some things built in your life and God expands doing all this stuff in your life, don't let the devil come in and take place to where you give place to the devil, which means you give up territory. This, this is this. I mean, this spiritually happens. Well, that's not really important. And so we'll stop doing that. But you don't recognize that's connected to something else. And then that's connected to something else. And if you stop doing the first thing, it's going to impact the second thing and the third thing. And so you got to make sure, wait a minute, these are some things and areas in my life that are demarked and defined by God. I'm not giving up prayer. I'm not giving up reading the scripture. I'm not giving up the fellowship and community of the saints of God. This is important because if I give this up, the devil is never, never satisfied with just taking a small portion. He encroaches and encroaches and encroaches until you've got nothing left. You've got to make a stand. You've got to make a stand. He's a bully. The other area of weakening is thoughts and imaginations. Our mind is one of the most vulnerable and accessible areas of our lives and and there is leverage that the enemy will use. We can't control our thoughts, 
Sometimes people get confused. Man, I just had a thought. Wow, I am such a sinner. Because that thought was so terrible. You're going to have thoughts that hit you every single day. You can't control thoughts, but you can stop thoughts from entering into our mind. And, and ruminating on stuff to the point where now I'm tempted to act on it. This is what James was talking about. When those intentions in our mind become sin of commission, it starts with a thought. James chapter 1, verse 12 is very good here. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. So a thought goes into my mind. Thought, it's a thought. I can't control those things, but I can control what goes into my mind. And so if I'm ruminating it in my mind and I'm pondering it, now it's conceiving something in my life that then becomes action. And when the action is perpetuated, then it brings forth death. And this right here is the foundation of a lot of crime. starts as a thought. It starts thinking about something and then ruminating on it. Then it becomes ingrained and then how do I, how do, I do that? And then action is proliferates into something and then the end result of that is not good. And when all of that happens, it destroys our reputation. It destroys our character. It destroys other people's confidence in us. And there is restoration available, but sins of moral nature leave scars and reproaches. And uh, I'm on board with anybody that's had failures and difficulties, but it's just, it's a fact of the matter. If you got, you got some things, it's going to scar you, sin's going to scar you, and there will be reproaches that I, I can get through and get beyond and get by, but people sometimes are very, very cruel, and sometimes you never get beyond the reproach of it. Can't go back and change it. There's nothing you can do. All you can do is say, I'm gonna move forward. And and that's what you need to do is move forward. But sin will scar and it will bring reproach. And so <clears throat> you have to recognize there is a there's a predator out there and he's trying his very best to destroy. Destroy what? Destroy what, Pastor? Well, first of all, he's trying to destroy you. And then he'll just try to destroy you and your family. Right? He'll destroy you, your spouse, and then he'll just try to destroy your children. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because there is a war against the soul, and that is one of those elements is the accuser of the brethren. As the musicians come here today and we conclude this, People have, have tried to figure out, so not, we, we, we wouldn't do any good to go through all of that and then not give some methods for handling the devil, the Satan, the force, the weakening, the accuser. 
Through the years, fanciful thinkers have projected untold means and methods for handling the devil, but nothing succeeds like using the biblical method. Stomping, there's a song that says stomp, 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 stomp on the devil. Okay, that's, that's just being illustrated. It doesn't mean that your stomping is actually doing something to the actual devil, just like finding words and ways to describe that. Scaring the devil away. I fell through a plate glass window when I was young, my cousin and I, because we were talking about the boogeyman. And I found out the boogeyman wasn't outside, the boogeyman was inside. My grandfather became the boogeyman, it scared him so bad, he did not spare us, nor our rear ends. So all these like sensational antics to try to leave people frustrated and the enemy undefeated. So what is God's method? Well, we read it. First verse that we read in James said, James chapter four, verse seven, submit to God. Man, you know how you control the enemy? You submit to God. Why? Because he couldn't and he doesn't like it. And every time you say, you know what? I'm going to submit to the will of God. You are reminding him of a place that is prepared for him, which is hell. So I'm going to submit to God. I'm going to make sure my life is in submission to the work of God, the things of God, the word of God. So many try to bypass this step. I'm going to overcome. But they're not submitted. You're going to have a major, major problem there. Then in James, it says, resist in the faith. That means stand against, oppose, withstand, keep from yielding, being affected by, having done all the stand, stand. You know, I wish I could tell you that living for God was cakewalk and there were no battles, but that's not true. Paul said, I have fought the good fight of faith. I've finished my course. I've been a true soldier. You know what he's saying? It's been a battle every step of the way. But I'd rather be fighting for the things of God than being going down the course of the enemy of my soul, the devil, the world, the flesh, and everything else. It's only going to lead to destruction. I'd rather be building some things. And if it's a battle to build some things, I'm going to do it. If it's a battle to build some things for me and my wife and my family, I am going to do it. And I recognize there are things that are going to try to work against me. I recognize that predator for what he is. But I know this, there's one greater inside of me. Stop and think about that. <laughs> Those apex predators, every single one of them, did not, they do not have a predator against them, except for a few cases. They are the apex predators. Well, you know what? I can't stand against the apex predator called the devil, but there is something on the inside of me called Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of my faith that is greater than the apex predator that tries to come against me. God is bigger. God is greater. God has the ability and the power to control and to dominate. So I can trust in him. Resist. When we are tempted, oppressed, depressed, discouraged, and tested. You know what you need to keep doing? Keep living for God. Keep being victorious. Keep trusting in God. Not by inspiration because sometimes, man, sometimes you feel like you're on top of the world. And you feel you, 
You can take on everybody. Just bring me everything. I'll fight any lion, bear. And then there's some days you wake up in the morning, you feel like you've been run over by a Mack truck. You know what you do in those moments? You just live for God because you made a commitment to live for God. Not because of how you feel, not because of inspiration. You just say, I'm here today. Man, I, I feel disjointed. I feel like I'm coming apart at the seams, but I'm here because I made a commitment that living for God is the best thing that I could ever do with my life. And thank God for Calvary. And thank God for the work of Calvary. He washed me, cleansed me. I didn't have a hope, but he gave to me a hope that make it not a shame. I shouldn't even be here, but because of the mercy and grace of God, my hands are lifted up and I'm giving him praise and worshiping for, for the miracle that he's accomplished in my life. Praise God. Let's stand together. My, my, my. Thank you, Jesus. You know what? When you submit to God and you resist and you stand, there is a promise in the word. There is a hope. What a joy it is. He will flee from you. Amen. He will flee from you when you submit. And you resist. You can make it and you can do it. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may be in a difficulty and in a struggle. Amen. 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 Just keep trusting God and believing God and commit to God. God, you know exactly where I am. And I know I'm not alone. I recognize there's a roaring lion looking and seeking, but I know that there is one that is greater. He's called the Lion of Judah. <laughs> he's the author and finisher of my faith, and he's greater than any opposition and greater than any force, greater than any doubt, greater than any unbelief. He's greater. So I'm going to trust in him. Praise God. Hallelujah. Why don't you lift up your hands together in the house of God right now? God, help me commit my way before you. Oh God, Hallelujah. Help me to commit. struggle alone. Why don't we make an appointment with the altar today and for a few moments lift up our hands and say, God, I know that you're walking with me. You're faithful to me. I give to you thanks and praise you.
Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. That's it. Come on, just lift up your voice and praise Him. He sees exactly where you are. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. You know what I feel? I feel the one that is greater. Hallelujah. I feel the one that is greater. No obstacle is going to stop me. No obstacle is going to stop me. Praise you. I thank you. 